Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Welcome to this week's episode of the Mum and Mama podcast, brought to you as always by the lovely Golding Accountancy, wearegolding.com. Um, thanks to them, I have invested in Logic, which is a program which helps you um, edit audio, basically. Um, but relearning how to do things <laughs> when you've got 17 other million things to do, it's fine, but I'm like... I was thinking I'd get it and then everything would be really easy, but actually I've got to learn how to use it, haven't I? So, but I'm very grateful, so thank you, Golding Accountancy. How are you lot? I hope you are good, wherever you are and whatever you're doing. This week, it sees the return of my resident child psychologist, Joanna Fortune. Joanna is lovely. She's got the nicest voice. Right. This is my bread maker that is kicking in. I'm so sorry, there is always a noise going on in my house. If it's not children asking questions, or the heating, or my washing machine, it's the bread maker. I'm sorry. Um, but yeah, so she she's written books. I've, I've done, I think, three other episodes with her. I love her. So check out, check out those if you haven't listened to them already. And her books, uh, 15 Minute Parenting, such a wonderful concept. Basically, you just look after your kids for 15 minutes a day and then put them in the garden. It's great. Um, I'm joking. So, I, my youngest daughter, Juno, has been suffering anxiety recently. I think a lot of children have, and adults have, since lockdown and COVID. She's at a developmental stage. I've been in hospital recently. There's just a lot going on. But she's definitely more anxious, and I wanted to talk to Joanna about this because it seems to be a reoccurring theme with friends of mine, kids who are of the same age, and I was just wondering, you know, what her experience has been. Um, so I got in touch with her, and thankfully she agreed to come on, and we've had a really good chat. I found it very helpful for me personally, so I hope you do as well. And she does a podcast, which I would listen to all day long, because I love her voice, and I love her. So I'm going to share links to everything on my socials and in the write-up on this. So check it out, and I'll see you on the other side. Work. Life is full of what-ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard Fixed Indemnity Insurance Plans, they supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? 
Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Work. Hi. Hi, it's so good to be back um, and talking to you again. It's really lovely to see you. I was very excited. The reason, so I'm joined today by the lovely Joanna Fortune, my, our resident child psychologist. Because <laughs> <laughs> I did think, I think the last time I spoke to you, was it at the beginning of the year? I think it was. I think it was. Yeah, and yeah, it would have been. I had, yeah, it was, because I had, a, I, had mani- I spilt water on my computer, like, a while before, and... I did the podcast with you and my computer wasn't working so I had to do it on another computer and I had to download software to edit it and it was a whole massive thing but at the end of it I was like I did that. (laughs) It's amazing how we can turn into technical engineers when when need be. This is this is how women are just chameleons by nature. We just adapt to the circumstances around us. Yeah. 100% and I was like I mean it was a massive headache but I was like I didn't have a nervous breakdown because it was coming out the next day. I I love I love that that was your measure. I mean I didn't have a breakdown therefore it was okay. (laughs) But I did end up having to get a new computer because I took it in to get fixed because I was like, it just won't turn on. And he was like, has there been any damage if you dropped it? I was like, no, because I spilt the water and it was just on it. It was the smallest amount of water. And it was like, it was months before. So I was just like, no. And he was like, it'll probably be about three, four hundred pounds. And I was thinking, I'll just, I'll claim it on my insurance. Oh no, my mate works in the shop. And I was like, I'll get him to sort it out for me. And then I had a phone call the next day saying, oh yeah, we've discovered it's water damage and it's going to cost £800 to fix it. But I was like, but the computer's probably worth that. Yeah, completely. You would definitely get another one for £800. Exactly. So I was like, that's what I I was like. I'm just going to go through my house, like my contents insurance, which I did do. So I got a new computer. But yeah, it was a... <laughs> I, I just think tech, technology is amazing and all of the advancements it's brought to our lives until it doesn't work. And then it's like the wheels have come off, nothing works, we flip our lids yeah. and it's like, okay, what did you do before this? But yeah. it's no memory, no memory at all, can't function, curl up on the floor, a computer is broken. Yeah. But also I do think that it, it, there must be so many instances of people spilling liquid onto a computer just because you have your drink near where you're yeah. working, don't you? It's just such an easy thing. And it's like, obviously, I don't know a lot about how things work, but can they not just invent something which makes it water resistant? Like if they can make watches water resistant, can they not do that with the keyboard? on the laptop. I feel like maybe. you need to trademark that idea, that thought, yeah. and that'll be the next thing you invent, you see? <laughs> I wish. So how have you been, so how's this year been for you? Because obviously it's, yeah. how was, so you're in Southern Ireland. Yes, that's right. So yeah, I'm so just outside Dublin in Wicklow, yeah. You're, the case is there, because obviously it's absolutely terrible here still, but we're going yeah. on like, it doesn't exist anymore. How has it been there? So our restrictions have remained in place a lot more than yeah. you guys have had. Um, and for a while, it was, you know, for a good while, it, it seemed to be very effective and working and the cases were manageable. Now that restrictions are lifting, we are seeing a spike in numbers, which you would expect to see because yeah. there's much more movement. Public transport has higher capacity. Venues are open. Restaurants, people are going back to office-based work you know, things like that. So everything is opening back up, but our hospitalization rates have spiked in recent weeks. And so that we're kind of back at that precipice of, oh my goodness, what does this mean? And nobody wants to mention the dreaded L word for lockdown because I think, you know, psychologically, I'm just not sure we have another one in us. Um, You know, that kind of collective malaise around, oh, no more of this, no more of this at this stage. And I do think, you know, when you and I spoke many moons ago, it was like, oh, this COVID thing, you know, what can we learn from it? What will we take from it as we move forward? And here we are, you know, kind of coming up on two years later, going, 
So COVID, still this thing. (laughs) And I just think how we think about it and how we speak about it now is very different to even the start of the year and certainly a year ago. It's very different conversation now. Yeah. What is the vaccination rate like where you are? Oh, I think it's like 93%. Wow. Yeah, yeah no, yeah, most people who are eligible for a vaccine have yeah. had double vaccination now. And, I, you know, so basically anyone who hasn't had it now probably isn't going to get it for, you know, a number of personal yeah. reasons. Yeah, yeah. Um, I know they are doing a promotion, especially, um, you know, looking at giving it to children as well. So over 12s as well yes. have a bet. Yeah. I'm, I'm kind of guessing, I think it's somewhere between 70 and 80% over 12s, but we haven't given it to under 12s. And yeah. I guess that's all being explored now because yes, there is a spike yeah. in that age group and case numbers as well. So are you, with your work, are you back to seeing people face-to-face or are you still on? Well, with mental health work, we've been able to be back face-to-face now, um, oh, since earlier this year, you know, really okay. people... Yeah, so we we got some prioritization for vaccine to get mental health providers back in person. Yeah. Just recognizing the level of demand and the type of crisis that people were in. And I do some of my work online. I do some of my work in person. A lot of the work I do now isn't just direct therapy. So I do some of that. I I supervise, I train other therapists, other mental health providers. I do case consultation. So I have a... Thankfully, I have a varied workload that, you know, I am able to do a large portion of that online. And that so I don't have to do a huge amount in person. Yeah. Yeah, because it's still a concern, isn't it? Obviously, of also getting sick. Of course it is. Uh, Oh, yeah. And, you know, look, what we know just because you're vaccinated doesn't mean you won't get sick. I mean, you, you hopefully won't get as sick or to a hospitalization level. But we know it's not going to stop you getting sick entirely. So, yeah. Uh, so yeah, no, there is always that worry. And I just think, you know, that I, I like to have the variety in my workload as well. I will yes, just say, you yeah, know, I, yeah. I'm aware I have a little frog in my throat and here we are talking about COVID. <laughs> it's like, you know, Murphy's <laughs> Law. Um, you know, it's the season and all of that yeah. to have all of these sniffles. So my apologies for my sounding. So, oh, you so sound husky. fine. I, yeah. I thought you'd sound a lot worse, but I can, listening back over the podcast for the last few weeks, I've been so bunged up. It's everywhere. It's just that time of year, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, no, it absolutely is. And the weather is so changeable and everything. But generally, Amy, like this year has been very like last year, extremely busy. The, yes. the rate of request for psychotherapeutic appointments and referrals is very, very high. And I think there's a positive and negative to that. The negative is it speaks to the level of struggle and crisis and challenge that people are experiencing. Yeah. And I work with adults, but I specialize in children and teenagers and around parent-child yeah. relationship. So we're also looking at how many young people are really struggling. And yeah. then, and you know, so, but the positive is that people have felt it is acceptable now, you know, to go to the therapist, to talk about going to therapy, to proactively seek out therapy for yourself. You know, and yes. I think that's been coming over, over years, but it's yeah. great to see that normalization of therapy because this is yeah. a crazy, unpredictable, you know, time that has gone on for a prolonged period so the fact that we're like actually my mental health is under immense stress and I'm not doing so well I need to go and talk about it that's a really good thing have there been any particular age groups that there's been more demanding or is it across the board I mean again if you'd asked me that you know at the start of the year and even last year I probably would have given you slightly different answers right now I'm seeing it across the board We did initially see a spike in that kind of middle childhood into early to mid adolescence. So eight or nine years old, up to about 15 years old, we were seeing a spike. And that's not a huge surprise because no matter what, the, the primary hub of social and emotional development for that age group is their peer group, the outside world, not family and parents. Whereas, you know, the younger children under seven, their primary hub of social development is family. So initially, the younger ones were doing fine, arguably doing well. But the middle childhood to early to mid adolescence, that cohort of young people 
were always struggling with the restrictions of COVID. So yeah. we did see a huge spike there. I'll tell you what has been interesting to notice is a huge spike in eating disorders. Really? <clears throat> significantly so and i know i'm not alone in that 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 is a national phenomenon here that wow. we've seen a huge spike in eating disorders and of course anxiety related disorders yeah. well, as well what i wanted to talk about is the anxiety mm. but why do you think there's been a spike in eating disorders in particular i think look eating disorder is a hugely complex clinical presentation like it really yeah. is because there is with anyone who even anyone listening now who's ever experienced or known anybody who's had an eating disorder of any kind and you could include in there Amy like eating disordered behavior so you might yeah. not have reached a threshold for a diagnosis of an eating disorder but you know you have eating disordered patterns in how you eat how you view food how you think and relate to food yeah. It's such an emotional thing. And yeah. what we put into our bodies, what goes in and out of the body is always within our own control, largely, at least in, initially, we think so. And I think that there can be that piece of everything is out of control. Nothing is as it should be. I'm hugely anxious about it. This is something I can control. Yeah. And I'm going to manage it. But of course, the complexity of eating disorder is that, you know, it's very difficult to stay in control of something like that for very long. I think it is extremely difficult. I think, <clears throat> and I know on my own podcast to the point I did an episode about parenting through eating disorder, no matter how yeah. old your young person is, your young adult is, um, who might be experiencing an eating disorder because parenting through it is not something you can do alone. You really need the yeah. support of those really excellent support agencies charities that do tremendous work in this area but often offer a parent or peer parent peer support um yes. so that you don't feel so alone with it because yeah. it's of course it's about so much more than food you know it's yes. multi-layered yeah. um yeah. but it's extremely complex to get a handle on and to move beyond so i it it requires multidisciplinary team approach really because yes. you need somebody yeah. looking at the food but you also need somebody looking at what's lying beneath that and yeah. then the broader impact on family relationships yeah wow I, I, that surprised me but they're not really i guess yeah yeah and we've even seen quite young children developing you know we we tend in our you know when you hear eating disorder largely because of media representation or how it's presented in tv shows or movies we see a particular manifestation of eating disorder in a particular gender in a particular age group when actually yeah. it's it's right across it eating disorders affect anyone and everyone and yeah. we are seeing children very young like primary school age children developing wow. eating disordered patterns of behavior um especially over over this covid period and again i'm not yeah. saying that covid has caused it you know causation and correlation are very different things but yeah. certainly it's what we're seeing a spike in well what i i wanted to talk to you about the anxiety thing really if yeah. there's been a noticeable rise in children's anxiety I mean, I would have to say yes. Yeah. Um, and I think it's, it's, there's again, there's a couple of ways of looking at it. If your child or young person was already predisposed to anxiety coming into this whole pandemic period, then it's likely it was amplified even further because they were already predisposed. Yes. But also we're seeing children who were doing really well suddenly becoming anxious. And it's yeah. been interesting because... You know, I work a lot in the area of anxiety with young people, even outside of the pandemic. And some of my young people who struggled with school, um, negotiating extracurricular activities, the outside world, they've actually really done well in yeah, lockdown yeah. because their world got smaller. It felt safer, less challenging. They had higher degree of control over their environment and actually were doing really well. And now we're seeing in that transition back to the outside world, a surge in anxiety there. Yeah. And equally, parents of young people can't be going, I don't know what's happened. You know, I've never seen this before. My child was such a happy, healthy, really engaged. And I said, well, that's just yeah. it, isn't it? Yeah. Because very abruptly, our children lost access to both formal and informal supports. So again, <clears throat> excuse me, if you 
had a young person who was already vulnerable, maybe they already had a therapist or a psychologist or they already had appointments. Those were suspended abruptly without notice with yeah. no guidance as to how long that would go on for. Equally informal supports like school and friends and activities they were all suspended abruptly without any idea when they would start again. And then there were these massive changes to how we socially engage with each other. Don't touch, don't hug, keep yeah. your distance, you know, don't see each other, don't hang out. And when we make significant changes to how a cohort of people, children or otherwise, socialize, then of course there's going to be a significant impact as a yeah. result of that significant change. Yeah. And that's where we're seeing it with the spike in anxiety. So either your child really struggled during the restrictions, the lockdown, and are gradually, but ultimately doing better and even well, now that everything is opening back up, or your child actually, you know, went the other way. And yeah. It, it's just been it's been hard for kids in general and also yes, you know yeah. at the bit very beginning of all this if we can cast our minds back that far at this stage <laughs> you know there was that unhelpful narrative of children as vectors of this virus that children were spreading it and children yeah. would be asymptomatic and I think you know children were treated like social pariahs collectively yeah. in communities not allowed to go into shops not allowed to be anywhere and then it, it emerged you know that's not actually true children are yeah. not the vectors of this so I think children have had a really rough time over the course of this pandemic it is ongoing it is ever-changing ever-evolving I totally appreciate it's hard to for anyone, you know, from a government or public health, um, public policy level to say, well, here's a guarantee for you. Of course, that can't yeah, be given. Yeah. But I also think we do need clear communication and commitment to our young people that proactively, you know, government will put measures in place that upholds the mental well-being of our children. Yes. So our children yes. who are doing mostly well most of the time, how do we keep them well? You know, that's those, yeah. you know, mindfulness and meditation and all those other helpful things that if you're unwell, they won't get you well, but if you're well, they will keep you well. Yeah. And then looking at children who we know are vulnerable because we already know they're vulnerable. So yeah. children who we're already predisposed in this area. So what are we doing to ensure they have access to appointments or that in the transition, telehealth services were widely available and quickly available? Yeah. What are we doing there? And then of course, for the children who are actively in crisis and extremely challenged, you know, the waiting lists for referrals, be that public or private at this stage, it really isn't making a difference. Yeah. Waiting lists are pervasive and they're right across the board. What are we doing about that? Because yeah. when it comes to talking about children and anxiety or mental health and well-being and mental illness, and of course, mental health is one thing. We all have it and we all have good yeah. days and bad days within there. Mental illness or mental ill health is something entirely different. And that does require clinical intervention, um, yeah. be that therapy, maybe it's you know pharmacological, maybe it's a, a combination of both of those. But what, is, what we do know is when people are in active crisis, they really can't wait. They shouldn't yes, have to yes, wait. Yeah. Waiting is a huge way of amplifying the symptoms. Yeah. So I, I would rather, instead of hearing more, you know, media friendly sound bites from government representatives about how we're committed to young people's mental health, let's see it. Let's see it yeah. in finance services let's see it in resources on the ground let's see it in no vacancies in yeah. in health services and let's ensure that we're not putting yet another expectation on our teachers who are already yes. teaching in incredibly difficult circumstances yeah. go oh, by the way could you all become therapists now yes and also <laughs> take care of our children's mental health thanks yeah. that's great it's just not fair um, yeah. It's not. I mean, look at what happened. You know, as parents, we we spoke about this. I think the last time when we were expected to support home-based learning, yeah. and we felt, oh my God, I'm not a teacher. I can't do this, and yet we put so much on our teachers and say, but you can do this, and you and yeah. something, and and and. Oh no! By the way, make sure that curriculum gets delivered to the best level possible as well. Yeah. So I think we need a much more 
conscious, clearly communicated, highly committed, and not just verbally committed, but where's the money and where are the resources to deliver this for our young people? Because it is serious. It really is. Well, it is serious. And the thing is, there are next generation of workers. And, you know, it's important for everyone, isn't it? The members of society, you know, we need them as mentally healthy as possible because that makes the world a better place for everyone. Absolutely. And look, we've been at this stage looking at prolonged states of loneliness, uh, you know, of withdrawal, of anxiety. And we know that this could have a knock on effect for young people's mental health for years to come. So it's not just butcher the pandemic. We're on top of it now. And, I, you know, I'm saying that with kind of inverted commas, because are we? Are we on top of it? (laughs) Uh, As soon as we feel we are, it seems to mutate itself to go. Nope. No, you're not. (laughs) Um, But I, I do think that we have to look at this in terms of longevity you know if i rule the world and that's how i if i rule the world every school out there would have a full-time child and adolescent psychotherapist on staff for at least 12 to 18 months so that any young person who needs to access services is getting those services at the point of needing it and i really think that would make a huge difference yeah 100 percent I think they should be there all the time. I agree with you. There's something going on, isn't there? Always. Well, you know, I think that's a really good point because I, a large part of what we see with the pandemic is almost the tip of the iceberg, but the iceberg yeah. has always been there. Yes. Children and adolescent mental health has always been under, over demand, under supplied. Yeah. Like yeah. it has always felt under resourced. It's always something that we have been banging a drum and saying, look, yeah. we need more of this. Let's look at this. Let's track these patterns if we take care of our young people now it pays huge dividends for them but also society and communities going forward and now the pandemic has given us a new platform for positioning that conversation yeah but that conversation always needed to happen yeah well I remember when I was I (laughs) I hope my mum and dad aren't listening to this but I had quite a (laughs) spent (laughs) adolescence I mean I did do drama and I loved that yeah I did too actually I was taking drugs in subways, you know, when I was quite young because there was nothing to do. We didn't have any youth centres or anything. And I know that that's got worse. There just aren't really any things for young people to do apart from hang around on the streets or in parks and get drunk and you know and And then be kind of judged for hanging around or hanging out and deemed to be up to no good and if you constantly look for something in a group of people they you won't be let down you will find it you know and you know what we're really thinking of there is structure and engagement isn't it you know that structure is that sense of internal felt safety that I feel safe from the inside out in as a person but also in relation to other people and within the world around me. And this pandemic has been great at reminding us that the surroundings and circumstances for young people profoundly impact their mental health one way or the other that's relationship and connection to teachers to parents their peer group and absolutely how we ensure they have access to play learn and grow and that's something i think pre-pandemic we could have done a lot better on and what little was there what limited resources were there and I do think community groups do incredible work with very little resources there are people out there just doing amazing stuff but they were also stopped during this pandemic so what was there which wasn't enough then disappeared entirely and telling a group of young people who are neurologically wired as early to mid adolescents are to take risks to engage in risk-taking behavior of course we want that ideally to be healthy risks over negative i mean anyone listening can list off endless negative risk-taking behavior that teenagers can get involved in but healthy risk-taking includes things like activities community engagement team sports where there's an inherent chance of winning or losing but i also have to work collaboratively with my team competitively between teams you know standing up and having to make a presentation to prepare for something or take on an activity that puts me in contact with people outside of my typical peer group 
where I have to take chances. Those are all healthy risk-taking behaviors. And actually risk was something we were, don't take risks, be safe, stay in, yeah. don't do. And of course, our young people are hardwired to push those boundaries, test yes, those yeah. limits and say, I can't, I can't stay in anymore. I just have yeah. to get out. I just want to see my friends. And we yeah. shouldn't demonize them for that, but instead should accept how hard this has been and empathize with that struggle and, yeah. and then appeal from that empathic place for, I get it. I really do. Here's what I need you to do. What can I do to make it easier for you? Yeah. Instead of coming at it from this judgment loaded, oh, young people are doing this and young people are not doing that. Instead, just try to, just as you did there, you know, very honestly, um, what was it like when you were a teenager, you know? And I often think when we go back, Amy, and we think, well, when I was a child and when I was, we can have this kind of self-righteous rose tinted yeah. view of what that was. But actually, when we get to the place of, well, this is how it was, then stop and say, how do you wish it had been? And yes. how you wish yeah. it had been is your starting point. That's yeah. your empathic piece. Yeah, it was yeah. like that for me. And you know what? I wish it wasn't. And I wish it wasn't for you as well. Yeah. Yeah. I would have loved to have had somewhere to go. Yeah. to do. But um, my um, friend has got uh, three teenage boys that she's... I've, I've, I've spoken to you about her before. Mm. Um, but her middle son at the moment, he's just started college and she's worried about, she thinks that he's always had a bit of social anxiety, but mm. now it's got to the point where she actually thinks that he might need to go and talk to someone because he just doesn't want to do anything. Yeah. He just wants to be in his room. He doesn't want well, to going <coughs> to college and that's okay. But she said he's not really making friends and yeah. he's very, he just wants to be in and he doesn't want to see anyone. But she doesn't know if that's, if the pandemic's obviously made things that he was already suffering with worse. Yeah. Or if it's a result of, you know. And it could be either or. It could be somewhere yeah. in the middle, a bit of both, that he may have been predisposed to this. And actually the prolonged separation from even a limited group of peers has meant, look, I've just broken that connection and I don't know how yeah. to reestablish it. And it's something I'm hearing a lot about, and particularly his age group, which is interesting, you know, that college age. Yeah. So, and I was talking to somebody recently um, now in third year of university and saying, you know, apart from a brief term at the very start of first year, they really haven't been to college. They really haven't yeah. been in the university premises. They haven't yeah. been on campus. They're, they're taking lectures in the box bedroom of their parents' house. And that's yeah. not what college or university is about because yeah. actually it's the social aspect. It's the new experiences. It's that step into adulthood and independence and that autonomy. That's all part of that experience. Our young adults have really not had that for the last yeah. couple of years. So the pandemic has changed it. And your your world getting quite small can suddenly begin to feel, how would I put it, com comfortably uncomfortable, if you know yeah. what I mean. It's yes. like, yeah, it's not ideal, but it's what I know. And I feel comfortable here. And the idea of taking a step out and doing something in a different way, that just doesn't appeal to me. I don't want to do it. So I would agree with her instinct that it's probably a good idea that he does talk to somebody, but yeah. also to be aware that he's at an age where she can suggest that, she can invite it, she can yeah, see, make it appealing, is, but she cannot make him do it. Yeah, how how do you do that? Like if, how do you make someone? Because <laughs> obviously, he's, <laughs> well, he's 16 now. Yeah. Yeah. So how how do you encourage how do you encourage someone who doesn't want to do something that's good for them to do I, it? I always say to parents of 16 year olds that it's their job to get them there once and it's my job to get them to come back okay, okay? yeah so and please don't pay them or bribe them to come <laughs> like please don't do that because they'll come they'll sit there and they'll go mm-hmm yeah uh-huh uh-huh uh -huh. you know what I'm getting for being here all right I did it give me the thing yeah, um, yeah. And it's a bit like when you incentivize behavior too overtly, too strongly. It shows me that this is only worth doing in exchange for payment. Yeah. And actually, that's not what we want. But if you can. So when I say it's your job to get them there, if you can convince them to take a chance on it, to give it a go, 
then I will often say to a 16 year old, of course, you're going to come here and say this is weird because you know what? It is weird to come to some place you've never been to someone you've never met because of things you wouldn't tell your friend, never mind a stranger. But by the way, can you do exactly that? Of course, it's weird. And I'm like, because it's weird, I wonder, can you give me three weeks? Will you come even if you hate it? for three weeks and if after three weeks you still hate it and see no benefit you don't have to come back yeah because that way they've given it a good enough go yeah they've pushed themselves a little beyond that resistance point you know that point that says i'm not i don't like it i'm not doing it shut down they've had to push themselves a little beyond that for a couple of weeks and also by saying all right it's not for you don't come there's a greater chance they'll return. There's a greater chance that they'll step away and go, gosh, you know, it wasn't as bad as I thought it was. Maybe I'll go back in six months. Maybe I'll go back in three months. So I would sit with him. I would tell him straight, I'm worried about you. I know you're going to tell me not to worry. I know you're going to tell me there's no reason to worry, but I am your parent. And it's in the job description that I worry. I worry all the time. This is a level of worry that I want to tell you about. So it's a big worry. I'm worried that you're not happy. I'm worried that you're struggling. I'm worried that something is going on. Be specific. I see you spending a lot of time in the house. Um, I don't see you with friends or engaged with people. I just think life has gotten really difficult for you. And I don't want to see life being this difficult for you. How about we, I will find somebody you go, give it a couple of goes, and then we can think, of, is it working or not? But at least we'll know we tried it. Yeah. So I think if you're open, honest, and appeal to them giving it a go, if only to stop you going on about it. Yeah. And do offer that. <laughs> you know, if you give it a go, I promise I won't bring it up again. Um, yeah. You know, that that can be helpful. And I also think it's useful to remind, like, if you pulled a muscle in your leg, you would go to the physiotherapist because it's the appropriate thing to do to work that yeah. knot out. And yeah, really yeah. what we're talking about is going to the place that's appropriate to work out emotional knots. Yeah. That's a good analogy. Yeah. It's so true, isn't it? It's so true. Um, <clears throat> so one of the reasons I wanted to talk to you is because I've had a couple of friends and me notice a rising the anxiety of our eight-year-olds oh yeah so um my younger daughter I had some trouble with her when she first started going to school because she didn't want to leave me Mm -hmm. but then that's been okay really since like after reception but since since she, I don't think it's necessarily just school, it's just it's being away from me at all. Mm. But it's like to the point of we went to my friend's house for dinner the other night, who she knows very well, and I have to sit next to her at the table. I couldn't sit at the end of the table, and she sit next to me round the corner. I have she has to sit side by side, so her shoulder is on you. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And like if we mm. and we were sitting somewhere the other day, and she had to put her chair exactly next to mine. Yeah. Like she just she wants to be with me all the time and my other friend her son is going through exactly the same thing and they're the same school year she's a bit old Juno's a bit older than him but it's the same school year Mm. and I've had a couple of other people uh talk about that as well but I don't know if it's I don't know whether it is she's always been a bit like that (laughs) Mm. obviously again the whole COVID thing said it was because she was fine during lockdown like when you said about, you know, about... Loved it. I mean, she yeah. had you completely to herself. You were going nowhere. Everything yeah. was great. Yeah. Yep. But it's... I don't know. How do you reassure them enough? Yeah. You know... Because it's almost like, you know, when your child is at that stage where it's not that they want to sit beside you, but they want to climb inside you and wear you. Yeah. <laughs> And it That's can what feel, I say to her. It's like it can feel so invasive. In. <laughs> yeah. And so it's hard as a parent not to get irritated, actually, and to go, just give me some space yes. because we do want that space ourselves. And it is quite intrusive, isn't it? You know? Yeah. And of course, we can go, oh, gosh, what's going on? And I feel so sad for her and I'm worried about her. But also, could you give me some elbow room? 
Yeah. You know, so and when we get frustrated about that, it is important to go back and go, well, you know, I didn't I wasn't frustrated that you needed to be close to me. I was frustrated that I didn't feel I had enough space. And I'm sorry, that's how yeah. it came out, because you're also reminding her that people need space. So it does sound like a little bit of in the realm of separation anxiety. Yes. You know, and it's you know, if you had even if it was at a mild to moderate level beforehand, I got this, you know, prolonged period where I didn't have to negotiate the outside world. And I got a taste of, oh, that fantasy I had of what if it was just you and me. I actually got to experience that and I really yeah. liked it. And now I feel super anxious about going back out there again. And we can gently yet firmly remind our children, look, you've done this before. You used to be really worried going to reception. You used to be really worried going to preschool or whatever it might be. And then you discovered that actually it was a lot of fun to have time away from me because you had all this opportunity with your friends and you got to do things and try out things. And actually you really loved it. And retell her the story yeah, of how she got over this the last time. Okay, yeah. even though it was at a mild to moderate level, reminding her the outside world actually appealed to her at one stage and it was exciting yeah. and fun. And then it's about not jumping in, tempting as it is to rescue our kids from difficult, hard feelings. Like we have to avoid that fix and change agenda as parents that we are so tempted towards. But actually stick with her experience. It's hard for you to move away from me. But you know what? It's my job to help you to learn how to do that. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to sit on the same side of the table, but we're going to sit a leg of the table distance away from each other. So if we reach out our hands, we could still touch fingers, but we're not touching shoulders. And we're just going to yeah. see how that goes. And we're just going to do it. And even if you have to time it and say, see, you can do it. You did that for 15 whole minutes. You can do it. I wonder, could you do it for two? And gradually build up. But you yeah. have to show me that I'm able for it in safe, manageable bursts because yeah. I'm not feeling able for it myself. Yeah. And I also think, though, that with separation anxiety, giving me a transitional object, so something that allows me to hold you in mind and feel held in your mind, even when we're not together, is really helpful. So yeah. like it, that could be anything, you know, there isn't a, a pit, I've some... got, um, necklaces that yeah. are like a heart that's split. So oh, lovely. One. That's lovely. <laughs> I mean, literally, you know, when I was doing this for little kids starting school, telling parents, draw a heart on your wrist and draw yes. one on their wrist and rub them together to charge up the little love button. So when you're apart, they can touch that on their wrist and yeah. feel, feel loved by you. You could put a little square of your scarf that you wear all the time so it smells of you or a T-shirt and they can stuff that in their pockets. And when they really need you, they can touch it or smell it. And yeah. smell is such a good sense of bringing back memory and helping us to feel reassured. So that can be really useful. Even getting, do you know in the photo printing shops, one of those little key rings that you can put a photo inside yes, of yeah. you and them, and they can put that on their school bags or again in their pockets or on their keys. And anytime they need to feel, feel connected to you, they hold it, they look at it, they just touch it or rub it in their fingers. And it serves as a little anchor point that yeah. I know we're coming back together. Yeah. I do think though, Amy, that if that went on, we're now at midterm. If that was at a heightened level coming into the end of November, it's probably a sign that I need a little bit of support. Yes. Outside yeah. of you that you, you're you're yeah. you're the thing I want. So you can't. Yeah. Maybe you're not the one to help put some distance between yes. us. Yeah, um, yeah. Like anyone who's listening, maybe you're co-parenting. You could have the other parents step in and do some more of those nurture-based tasks that tend to fall on you and create that wedge of distance. Um, yeah. And anyone who's single parenting, that is especially difficult to do because you are the person there. Yeah. So you might need a little bit of support from somebody in a professional capacity yeah. who can yeah. offer, like a play therapist, who can offer a neutral space where there are no demands, no questions, just come in and process, just work it through for that yeah. period of time. And a burst of sessions in that area can 
can really do the world of good. I'm yeah. a big advocate of sensory play when anxiety of any kind. Yeah. So, you know, we've mentioned COVID-related anxiety, social anxiety, and now separation anxiety. Any type of anxiety means I'm quite agitated in my headspace. Yes. Yeah. My body too, but also my headspace. I might be ruminating or thinking things over or overthinking or, you know, sometimes, especially if I'm anxious and I don't really know why I'm anxious. So now I'm anxious about being anxious and not knowing yeah. why I'm anxious. And now it's just... <laughs> spiraling and you yeah. go why do you need to be so close to me i don't know all i know is i have to be when yeah. our children tell us i don't know believe them yeah they don't know and at least they haven't interwoven it with narrative in a way that they can say this is what's going on do you yeah. know mom i'm feeling overwhelmed i'm emotionally perturbed right now and it's a lot for me to process <laughs> so instead they'll show us with their behavior but you could do quite a lot of sensory play no matter how old they are. All yeah. we do is we age up the play to be developmentally appropriate. So for example, making slime and playing with slime, eight-year-olds, a lot of them really like that. That's a really good sensory yes. experience. Yeah. Making, <coughs> excuse me, some sensory intensified Play-Doh. And that could be that you substitute in some cocoa powder and make chocolate Play-Doh. Or you add in things like fresh, um, herbs or scented oils or sliced lemons or oranges um, and a little bit of food dye so they can bespoke design their own play-doh there's a huge sensory experience in making it and then get little scraps of paper write down household items everyone picks out one and set a timer like sculptionary you have to sculpt the item in the bowl with your sensory play-doh so i'm deepening that tactile exploratory sensory experience that kind of play is really, really useful. Eight-year-olds are also coming developmentally into that middle childhood phase. So they're just leaving early childhood. I'm yeah. saying developmentally because no two eight-year-olds are the same. You could have an eight-year-old who thinks they're 14 and you could have an eight-year-old who still plays like they're four, you know, so yeah. they're really different. But if developmentally they're coming into middle childhood, they're feeling pulled away from you and that yeah. can so developmentally she's feeling the demand is there that I become more independent and autonomous and I don't feel ready yeah so now I'm afraid I'm panicking and yeah. I feel that my attention in this age group eight to twelve years is being drawn more to what other people think of me but moreover what I think other people are thinking of me and the worst thing we can do as parents is tell our kids nobody's thinking of you don't be daft yeah that's even worse okay um, yeah. so it's it's really hard for me to find my fit peer groups often change like there can be changes in relationships in school dynamics yeah the way kids want to play maybe my friends love to play in the yard and run around but now they just want to hang out and talk and I don't really things are changing yes. and I'm yeah. struggling with that developmentally yeah it's also though where I, you know, and I've said this to you before, but our young children just think we're amazing as parents. They think we know everything. But at middle childhood, they're more cynical about us. You know, they they bring us their questions, but they might second guess our answers. You know, they might want to check it on Google or with somebody yeah. else just to be sure that we're right. And so I've got all of this internal conflict going on. I'm being pulled to do more myself, but I actually don't want to. And I'm being pulled towards what other people think of me, but I only want to be with you because that's a lot and overwhelming. Yeah. My friendships are probably changing and I really just want things to stay the same. Yeah. So there's an awful lot of push pull that goes on in this stage of development. I always think middle childhood is such a hard age. Yeah. Like it's the most under discussed stage of childhood. We spend ages talking about the early years and then the teenage years, but we can short circuit or catapult over these middle childhood years when yeah. neurologically their little brains are still very much developing, but there's a process of synaptic pruning that goes on to cut back those synapses that were really on fire and needed in early childhood in order to create space for the surge in development that's coming in adolescence. So there's a whole lot, we can see them be, you know, really kind of, oh yeah, I've got everything sorted. I'm such a little child of the world now. I know what I'm doing. And all of a sudden, a flashpoint of temper tantrum that you're like, what was yeah. that? Yeah, yeah. So you can see these kind of push pull of I'm ready, I'm not ready, I'm ready, yeah. I'm not ready. And when you think of that internally, 
that's so hard to yeah, feel ready and yeah. not ready. I trust myself. I don't trust myself at all. I feel confident. I'm full of doubt. You know, yeah. that I'm eight to 12 year olds. That's hard. It's yeah. hard to be eight, nine, 10. And don't forget that the last couple of years, the end of her early childhood stage has not been within the realm of typical childhood yes. developmental pathways. It really hasn't. So she may well feel not quite ready. Yeah. And if she's not ready, then you know what? She's not ready. Yeah, that's. I, I, I have felt like she's almost become, she's gone backwards. As she's been getting older, she's going backwards. It's almost like rebelling against, yeah. you know, the growing up. And she's back in my bed. Not that she's ever really left, but I'm like, yeah. you know what? I don't care. It doesn't make any difference to me. You know, yeah. if that's where she wants to be and that's where she feels safe, then that's fine. I completely I also, agree with you. Kids sleeping with their parents is only a problem if it's a problem. Well, exactly. And I was like, it doesn't. <laughs> my good friend who, her daughter and uh, Juno are best friends. She was like, I slept with my mum till I was 12. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, I don't care. It doesn't it's honestly, me, if that is something that gives her comfort and ensures you all get as good a night's sleep exactly. as possible pick your battles maybe that isn't one of them exactly but um that so we've got so i was in hospital over the summer mm. so that was a trauma because they, they took me to hospital and then left me there and then it's all that and, and obviously then i've been suffering since and they don't know if i'm gonna be end up in hospital i was actually ill on her birthday a couple of weeks ago okay which was awful um but and her best friend is has moved. <laughs> oh, there you go. I mean, my so God, Amy, they're huge triggers. Lot, yeah, there's a yeah. whole lot going on, which I do really feel for her for. But I just, I want to know that I'm supporting her in the best way. But then if I can't actually do enough, then I need to get help. And that's, you know. do you know what? And that's the tipping point, isn't it? That you can do all of what I've just said. And you can do it over and over. And for many kids, that's enough. Yeah. And for some kids who've had over and above experiences, which you've just described, yeah. because, <coughs> excuse me, you know, your mom going to hospital and being in physical pain, and you don't know exactly when she's coming home. And every time she has a pain again, you think maybe she's going back. Yeah. And where am I going? And what's going to happen? And part of it might be that you make a plan Yes, yeah, that, yeah, yeah. you know, there's a name for what's going on with me yeah. and the doctors are working it out and we will get it under control. And if I have to go to hospital, this is the plan. Yeah. And there is a set so that I can go. I know exactly where I'll be. I know who I'll be with. I have my little bag packed, ready to go with all of my important bits and comfort bits in it. And I won't be scrambling around at the last minute going, oh, gosh, I forgot this. And I don't. Have yes. that. Oh, my. Why am I at home? but that there is a plan in place. Yeah. I think children are often reassured by knowing, but where will I be when that's going on? It's not that they don't care about us, but they're egocentric yes. by development. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And they just want to know, will I be okay? Yeah. And it brings up for children, you know, what if you didn't come home? What happens to me then? And these are the kinds of conversations none of us really want to go to. Yeah. Yeah. But children, children do. Children like to know a plan. They like to know yeah. what does it mean? You know, yeah. what does this mean? And they have been surrounded by a narrative that sick people don't get better in this pandemic. Yeah, yeah. So actually sickness has become quite charged and quite triggering for yeah. a lot of children. So just kind of saying, oh, it's a different name. This is the name of it. Here's the treatment for it. We're going to get on top of this. That, oh, it's different to other sickness because yes. sickness is a yeah. vague word for me. Yes. So, yeah. and the friend moving away, like, oh my goodness, she's had an awful lot going on. So, yeah. you know what she's saying? This is where it feels safe. And isn't she wise? What a smart little girl. Yes. She she knows. Yeah, yeah. I will feel safe and comfortable if I stick myself to my mum. That way, I'll know exactly where she is, so I don't have to worry about that one. Yeah. And sticking close to her makes me feel comforted and reassured. So that helps me get over my friend moving and everything yeah. else going on. So she has worked out she needs something and now yes. we need to support her in transferring that to something more manageable for her. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Oh and my me. gosh. And you. <laughs> no, it's, I completely, it's hard because I completely understand why. Yeah. But then also it's, I, I just want to support her and make her not so 
worried because it's it must be horrible oh absolutely and I think when in doubt go to A&E you know acceptance and empathy and accept that this is her truth right now this is what she's telling herself this is the soundtrack running through her head and empathize with how hard that must be and then when you whatever you direct or reassure or let's try xyz you're doing it from that empathic base yeah so whatever you ask her to feels kind it doesn't feel like you're cross with me you're judging me, you're frustrated with me. It's like, you understand me and you're asking me to do something in kindness. Yeah. And that should help. Yeah. (laughs) It's hard. It is hard. It is hard. It is hard. It's hard and it's funny because they're both so different. Like Lola's always just been so independent. Like she, when I got sick the day that I was supposed to talk to you and I had to cancel, yeah. she was like, right, we need a plan for when this happens. That was literally what she was like. We need, who are we going to get round? Because I'd phoned, the, when it's happened before, my sister's been here. Mm. But um, she she works, obviously, and she mm. lives like 20 minutes away. So it's not it's not far, but it's not just around the corner. Sure. Um, but yeah, Lola was like, we need to plan for when this happens. And I was like, no, that's right. So I do. There you we go. have kind of got a bit of a plan. So you have a pragmatic um, one and you've got a highly emotional yes. one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The yin and the yang there, they're going to be. But you know what? You know, um, Juno will benefit from some of Lola's pragmatism because she looked yes. to her and say, well, she's got it under control. This is yeah. fine. And Lola will see, actually, I'm allowed to have an emotional response to this too by yes. looking at Juno. Yeah. So they can help each other out with this. Yeah. I think, yeah, when I was, when I was away... I think it, Lola was a bit surprised by how upset she was about Yeah, yeah. <laughs> she's so, you know, I'm fine. But, yeah, I think, yeah. It was, but that's that's the thing. That's the annoying thing for all of this. It's, it's them. I don't, for me, it's just pain management and it's not the end of the world. Yeah. Whatever happens, but it's, it's them not knowing what's going to happen to me. That's the upsetting Yeah, thing, and that is know. so much pressure. <clears throat> yeah, yeah. It is because you yes. just want to give them a guarantee. You just want to reassure them, make it all better, make it all go away. Everything is fine. Yeah. And yeah. that's not the nature of the beast you're dealing with. It's yeah. just not, you know, not right now. And I think all you can do is that in the right here, right now, we're still getting to understand what's going to work and what's going to help. But we are working towards that. And while we're learning what's going to help, here is the plan of action. Yeah. Yeah. It's very hard. And anyone who's ever parented with an illness, particularly an unpredictable illness and one that is very debilitating when it flares up. Yeah, structure and predictability. Predictability is not there. Yeah. Can I make the plan when it happens? Can I make that the predictable bit? Yeah. Yeah, no, definitely. I'm going to get a plan in place. <laughs> I know. Simple, yeah. right? That'll keep you busy now for the weekend. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I've kind of got one is yeah this but and that's that's one of the annoying things about being a single parent is your reliance on other people oh yeah because I hate like today I'm supposed to be going out tonight with friends we've had this dinner we've been trying to have this dinner for two years and it's been oh, booked God. for four months and my mum's not well my mum and dad were going to come over my mum's not well and now she's worried it might be covid because she doesn't think it's covid but she's yeah. found out that she has been in touch with someone so obviously yeah. she needs to get tested and you know of course yeah and then I'm like, and I haven't got anyone else because my, my, the other people that I would ask aren't around. And it's just like, and I, there are people that I could ask. But I, I know. don't want to because I hate asking people. I, I'm even watching you cringe as you're saying that. <laughs> and, and you know what I think is really important is that you Teflon coach yourself and you let some of that cringe slide off. You just got to do it because otherwise you won't do anything and you're allowed to have a night out. You're allowed to be excited about seeing (laughs) friends that you waited this long to have dinner with. And, you know, when people say, if I can do anything, give me a call, they they wouldn't say that if they meant do not call me. (laughs) So like, I think we, I mean, collectively, I think we all need to do better with this. And I always say this, like, when you've had a new baby and people go, can I do anything? Like, give them a job. Yes, the shepherd's pie would be great yes. for the freezer. Yes, there is a load of washing in that machine that needs to be hung up. Like, people are yeah. asking you, so give them something practical to do. So, yeah. again, if you could say, I need help, you know, and it's hard because it's about being vulnerable. It's about being dependent yes. on others. Yeah. And as a single parent, you walk a different walk. You're like, no, no. 
I can do it all. I can yeah. do everything. And yeah, you can. But in order to keep doing everything, once in a while, you need yeah. to ask for a favor. Yeah. Yes. And people will say yes, because you'll get me back and I will call that favor in when yeah. I need it. So, you know, I, I, yeah, it's easy say, it's very easy say, but I, I think if people have ever said, give me a shout if you're stuck, they yeah, mean I, it. I, yeah, but it's they funny, mean it? it? It's just that resilience, even though I know that they would, it's weird, it's just that of like, no, I can't ask though. <laughs> but you know, it's, it's funny that resilience, and we could have a whole podcast about resilience because I'm thinking quite a lot about it at the moment because it's such a buzzword. Uh, you yeah. know, oh, resilience, let's build resilience. It's not a light switch. Like it isn't something we yeah. flick on and off. Resilience is only ever there if the stressors in our life do not outweigh the resources we have. Okay, because we don't get rid of stress. Stress is a part of life. But if our resources outweigh the stress, then we manage the stress. It's when our stressors tip the balance that they outweigh our resources. That's when we have a dip in resilience. That's when actually we struggle. That's the opposite to resilience. Yeah. It's struggle. And then it's about what, what and who do I have that I can pull, pull upon, that I can lean into, to bring that balance back, to tip the scales back. What resources? Because they're not just you. Our resources yeah. are internal, but they're also external. Sometimes we got to say, I need to pull on my external resources. That's what I got to do right now. Yeah. Do it. Okay. I see. I've just I'll like, <laughs> Joanna, Joanna says you have to babysit for me tonight. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I will. <laughs> oh, thank you so much it's been so lovely talking to you it always, always is and it goes so quickly I know I do wish you better when are I you... know so hopefully you'll I, I just I'm having tomorrow. yeah I'm I, I'm having like a whole cold thing today and it's the season and all of that but of course yeah. it's also the times we live in yeah. so yeah yeah so I'll do all the right things and do you know what it, it probably is my body's way of saying been a mad few months you could do it lying down for a while my body's yep. pretty good at giving me those nudges after I've ignored all yes. of the signs <laughs> and saying that's it we're shutting yep. you down now there you go yeah. I suspect that might be what's going on <laughs> can you relax this weekend yes I can you can okay, and good. I am yes I can good. and I am that's good. the plan <laughs> normally I have seven million things I'm trying to do and you know I'm finishing yep. my doctorate and I'm doing different things but oh god yes that I when have are you going to finish that? Well, I'm at, I'm at the final stage. <gasps> so, yeah, so quite exciting and terrifying all at once. So that's also probably feeding some of the, the body triggers. But um, I'm hoping to submit my final my final thesis this side of Christmas. I'm hoping. Wow. I'm, I'm giving myself a little wobble that if it's January, that's okay. But yeah. I'm hoping to get it in before Christmas. So that means there is no such thing as a free weekend, though. When you're yes. writing books or you're, you yeah. know, doing a doctorate or any master's or any study, your weekend is when you do yeah. that stuff. So I'm quite looking forward to Christmas, I have to say, you know, just for the break, the... Yeah. The real, the downtime, the fam, the play, you know, just yes. all yeah. the play and the fun and everything with that. Um, yeah. And a couple of long overdue dinners with friends, you know, because yeah. things are slower to open up with us um, than they have been with you guys. Yes, so course, we're, yeah. I'm still definitely playing catch up with the friend yeah. dinners. So looking forward to that and hoping everything moves in the right trajectory to enable us all to get back out there living. Oh. <laughs> and, and the book new yes. book so yes so there will be a new book um she says you know there will be a new book uh, when i write it uh <laughs> but there will be because i'm looking at focusing on the role of play in the lives of adults not necessarily yes. parents and certainly not exclusively parents but adults yeah. so it's something that i as you know i've always been really passionate about as adults we need to play we need to get more play out yeah. there but it's interesting amy because like when i wrote the first book back in i think it was 2017 and i have a little piece in that about you know being playful with your partner, you know, play without an intimate agenda, just play for play's sake and having fun. Yeah. And I remember, you know, publishers and journalists and whatnot going, oh, God, that's a bit cringy. That's a bit awkward. You know, I can't imagine <laughs> that. And now, just a few years later, people are like, talk to me about that play with adult stuff. Yeah. Give me something. And it's interesting. 
interesting because I think that is something from the pandemic that we're carrying forward is the need to be flexible and adaptable. We've been yeah. called upon like never before to be flexible and adaptable in our lives and play and moreover a playful mindset fuels flexibility and adaptability. The yeah. most flexible, adaptable people are also the most playful people. And yes, it's yeah. not something that you can go, God, I really don't think I do play. And also calling into mind, what do you understand by play? You know, it yeah. can be skipping and hula hoops or hopscotch. Of course it can. But it's not just that stuff. Like, what do you do for fun? How yeah. do you playfully explore or relate? And who comes to mind in your life when you think, Who's my playmate? Who's my buddy that I like to have fun with? You know, and ha am I spending enough time with that person? So it's really about if you don't feel you're in a playful space, this book will get you there. And if you are already playful, it will strengthen and enhance that for you. Oh, brilliant. Oh, I can't wait. And we'll have a definitely another chat about that. <laughs> definitely, yes. Oh, well, good luck with it all. Let me know how you are health-wise. I will, of course. And likewise, you. And just mind yeah. yourself. I, I do keep me posted. I, I know a couple of people dealing with what you're dealing with. And okay, yeah. it, it's so difficult. So um, I'm thinking of you, truly. Thank so you. So do keep me posted. I will, darling. It's been lovely. Thank you. All right, Amy. Bye. bye mind yourself. Bye. bye. So yes, that was the wonderful Joanna. I have actually been in touch with a therapist around near me to see if I can get, you know, a couple of sessions um, to try and help her. Because it's horrible when your kids are going through it, isn't it? You just want to, you want them to be okay. Plus you feel their pain. <laughs> it's hard being a parent. Um, but yeah, so fingers crossed. But I do, I hope you found that helpful. Or interesting, at least. If you want to talk to me about anything please get in touch if you have any suggestions for any guests then please get in touch i'm always open to suggestions hey um and please subscribe to the podcast and share this i think this episode probably will be helpful for a lot of people who are in the same situation so please share it or tag a tag friend but yeah i hope you are good i hope you keep them warm bloody freezing isn't it my heat just kicked in now did you hear that click <laughs> I've got quite a small Work. house, so everything's in one room. Um, Work. So, yes. Big love to you all. Stay Work. safe, stay sane. And I'll see you next week. Bye. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.